3: Since the beginning of the off-season, all these changes have been made. We've tried to get to a lot of the topics. We still have quite a few to go. And you guys asked some great questions, several of which will be pods, right? That happens when we, whenever we put out the call for questions. You guys seem to ask some very good ones that are like, you know, we should dedicate a whole 30, 35 minutes to that. But today, we're going to get to as many of them as we can. Thank you to anybody, to everyone who uh, submitted their questions. I'm going to be reading them today. Uh, and our first question is comes from Quest for 18, can you highlight the advantages of how having someone like Mark, a big who provides spacing and playmaking, how that would complement our big three, specifically in the starting lineup? Russ likes to push the pace, so on the surface it could seem counterintuitive to have a slow big in there with him. Darius, so much of how I've thought of Mark in the context of this offseason is, is he going to start or not? And kind of being uh, having some suspicions about his his role. But it's very likely that he is playing and, and very good chance that he does start. So let's dive into that a little bit. What does Mark with 80 at the four, Russ at point guard, what does that look like uh, in, in terms of how that meshes? Can I just say if Mark
2: doesn't start, I don't know if he plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, that's true. So, sure. so, I mean, maybe down the road when we talk about Mark and like a bigger picture idea um, – that could be something that that we dive into a little bit more but mark at the five i actually think that he fits more of a prototypical big style except as a spacer rather than a rim runner that russell westbrook is used to playing with so mark is more of a box out big he's not a high rebounding rate big himself and i think um you'd probably find a lot of um natural synergy between them in that regard, right? Like allowing Russ to be more of a rebounder in order to push pace. Um, and then when Mark does grab, re- will rebound himself, he's also an excellent outlet passer. Um, the other thing I think in in the half court offense, um, and Mike, I'd, I'd love to sort of get your thoughts about this as well, is the fact that defenses go under like individual defenders go under screens so much against Russ. The the natural opening for that isn't necessarily always the role man as a guy who's diving towards the basket. It's actually the pop guy
3: yeah to further that point about russ you also a lot of times have that big hanging back in a drop coverage as well to protect the rim for the same reason that the guy's going under the screen and so yeah that makes that pop guy even more open because the big is in a drop
2: yeah and and so mark's natural inclination to pop then becomes more of a release valve type of player which you can build that in To your offensive structure when that's going to happen and then you can then start to run a lot of second side stuff and dribble handoff stuff out of pick and roll that turns into a pop kick back out to mark oh swing or someone loops around mark for a dribble handoff and you can start to do a little bit more that way i think those are the main two areas where i see things working the best but mike i'm interested to get your thoughts on that as well
4: Mark checks some of the boxes for what center has evolved into the last couple of years in the NBA, where it's just been much more of a complementary piece and a complementary player. And there are some exceptions to that. We talk about with Jokic and Embiid, I think uh, being the two biggest, but when you have a center, how can you stay on the floor on both sides of the court when your best players are more often than not the big wings or even a lead guard? And I think the way that coaches have figured out how to how to have a player still on the floor then is to have a center that can actually shoot and Mark can actually shoot. He can actually shoot and hit threes. You figure you wouldn't be surprised if he's around 40% um, even for the coming year. But then on the other end of the floor, can those type of guys also, the ones that can hit the threes, can they switch enough or can they do enough on defense where they're not going to get get to be picked on in certain matchups over and over and get brought out onto the floor? And on that side of the floor, that's where I think Mark's game has um, – he's not the same as he was a few years ago on the defensive end when he was one of the more dominant players. And, and even if that was more in that traditional center, protect the paint, you know, drop into the middle of the lane, Mark's never loved to come out on the perimeter and switch around, even in his younger days. So, but what he does do, he's so great at anticipating. He knows everything that's going to happen. Ba- we talk about on this pod how basketball to him is very simple. It's not as simple <laughs> to everyone else because it just kind of clicks into his head the way to do it. So that type of player I do think can fit really well with the Russ and the LeBron and the AD group and then a shooter or like a two-way winger on the side. It's just, it's just a question of how does, how does he look defensively in those kind of settings? And uh, is our teams really able to go at that and, and kind of attack him in the middle of the paint? Because I don't think the offensive side, I think it works great to just have a space five who's smart, who can pass the ball, who can have run some stuff and can shoot threes like that to me is great when you have LeBron, uh, when you have Russ and when you have AD. But I I don't know, Pete, do you think the defensive or the offensive fit with this group is more important, not just with Mark, but like that center spot in general?
3: Yeah, I think it's mostly the defensive end, uh, at least when it comes to the high leverage games. But let, let's start with the offensive end, because for example, I don't love the Westbrook-AD-Dwight trio, even though I think very highly of every player in their role. I do think that if you're going to have AD at the four spot, your five has to be a shooter and a ball mover. And so the... If AD at the four is going to work with Russ, Marcus is the prototype of the player, type of player that would do that. AD is going to have to roll hard to the rim. We're going to get to a question next along those lines to make that happen. Because the downside that you get offensively with Mark is that he puts less pressure on the rim than just about any seven footer in the league. And there are things that get taken away as a result of that, right? The inability to throw lobs, to have much of a dunker spot presence. You lose something there. But I do think that having that spacing on that end helps. Defensively, Mark is in a tough spot in that if he's too deep in a drop, guys go over the top of him. And if he's too far out on the perimeter, guys go around him. And for all of his while and, and, understanding of the game and like you said when you say basketball is simple to mark part of that is skill but also part of that is just a mastery of basketball theory like in this situation the ball is supposed to go here I'm supposed to do this he is processing those decisions faster than just about anybody but his effectiveness physically defensively is somewhere where even Russ or anybody else it, like it, it, you have to find very specific matchups, I think, for Mark. And that becomes truer and truer the deeper you go in the playoffs. I actually think Phoenix was the worst matchup for him because they've got two really high-level guards. And then you throw campaign into that as well. That played into the weakest part of Mark's defensive game, whereas maybe in another series it wouldn't have been as tough for him on that end. So, all right, let's 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 move on. Next question comes from Shande asks, The most interesting stat to me last year was that Dennis only threw one lob to AD what led to that outcome and what can be done to get AD in the air more besides obviously adding Westbrook and Rondo now this this came out a couple of days ago there and I saw this and I was like hmm, I, like I, it made me curious and so I looked up would you guys guess what would your guess be for the total number of alley-oop dunks that Anthony Davis had in his 36 regular season games four Mike what, say it again one, one more time Pete so Alley-oop dunks. How many yes. Alley-oop
4: dunks did he have this season? Total. AD? Yeah. Total? He had to have more than four, Darius, did he? I'm just is guessing. It? Look, I'm oh, just okay. guessing. Uh, like, is this a trick question?
3: Right, I'll say I 15.
2: A, I think it's really low.
3: It is really low. It is higher than four. He attempted nine total for the year and made eight of them. Yeah. So that is – so nine attempts in 36 games. That is one Alley-oop attempt – Every Every four four games. Every four games, yes. What was
4: it the previous year?
3: Let let me, hold on, let me pull that up.
4: Had to be a lot higher.
3: This is the point that I'm getting to for sure. Okay, so what would you guess? He played, what did he play the previous year? It was 70-something games? They played 71 (laughs) games or 72 games. He
2: probably missed, what, eight or nine? So he probably played like low 60s in terms of games?
4: Yes,
3: so total alley-oop dunk attempts.
4: I mean... (laughs) 40. Okay, D.
2: Yeah, I would, I was going to say in between like 45 and 50. So let's just say 47.
3: 57. Oh, yeah. See? So it, we can look, this is one thing that we do as Laker fans and just Lakers in general is we will place outsized blame on look there's always a scapegoat right there's always Dennis the bad guy now hey dennis is gone who's like whose fault is it you know what i mean at the end of his run i was probably as low
2: on dennis as any sort of like i don't know to call i'll call myself a reasonable lakers thinker right i think i'm a pretty reasonable dude i was pretty i was pretty low on dennis by the time that he that the season was was over. A lot went into that, but I was pretty low on him. My first thought, Pete, when you said, or when the question was read about how can the Lakers get Anthony Davis in the air more, I was thinking, well, Anthony Davis should try jumping more this season. Because well, honestly, the, like every, when you're talking about how can you get someone to do something, how about that person just does that shit? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but it's just like, me and Mike have young kids now. Coaxing things out of your young kids or getting your young kids to do something—that's a lot of give and take. It's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of modeling. It's a—it's about incentives. There's a lot of different things that that goes into being a parent. We're not Anthony Davis's parents. Anthony Davis is a grown ass man. He's gonna decide how he's gonna play basketball. And last season, he decided he was gonna pick and pop way more that he was going to pick and roll and try to get downhill to get to, to the basket. Mike, maybe I'm coming off a little bit too harsh here in my judgment of Anthony Davis, but I just think the answer to this question is like AD needs to change up a little bit.
4: Yeah, I know. I don't think you're too harsh. I think that AD himself would acknowledge that he wasn't at his peak. Like we knew that he said, he said it before the season started. Then he played like it. He was still great, but he wasn't at his pe- like we we spent plenty of time on that. I, I don't think that's controversial. It, it just was funny when you were talking about with the kids like that, because the other day, I don't I don't know why it occurred to me. But I, I, I was trying to get the boys to go in the backyard and play a soccer game with me. And usually it's not it's not like an ask. It's just like, hey, let's go. And they're like, OK, cool. Yeah, yeah. But they were they were tired. It was one of their first days of having the full day of first grade, uh, which uh, were yeah. where we live. Um, it's going from it's basically adding two and a half hours to what the kindergarten time slot was. And he was just beat. So I I, I said something like, you know, you know, afterwards or something, we'll like we'll go. Daddy's got like some kind of candy or something. And like, we'll get into that later. And he looks at me and he gets all he, he gets all bummed out. and He's like. Daddy, I don't like how you you said that because you know that it's hard for me to say no to a treat, and basically calling me out on the yes. on the bribe. And I was like, "You're right, you're right." And then my wife kind of looked at me like, "Like, come on, dude, like, no, don't." So that is that on me? Is that on him? Like, you know, it. But the it, it's a little bit of a non sequitur. But yes, like it, it's you can't just you can't just expect that. But oh, here we're gonna the the alley oops gonna be there every time with point guard x as a point to point guard y because this guy shoots a lot and this guy passes a lot you still got to set that damn screen hard and explode towards the hoop no matter who the point guard is which I, i think is essentially the point
3: yeah that's absolutely what it comes down to right is and and there are reasons so to answer the basketball question from observing dennis for a year dennis is either uh He's like a two speed type of player. He's not a guy who's going to come off of a screen and put his guy in jail, keep him on his hip and kind of, you know, methodically work his way into a floater. Or there are a lot of lob opportunities that come off that. Dennis's way of attacking off of a ball screen or most of the types of actions that would result in a lob is to put his foot all the way down on the gas and go all the way to the rim. And sometimes that if that big is not rolling hard alongside you, that opportunity isn't there. Right? And so that's why in, in one of the, the stories of that, of how that was told, the lack of lob connection between yeah. Dennis and AD, one of the stories was, well, we had Damian Jones and in his first game, the lob yeah. threat was there. Yeah. And the, pres- the question was like, well, why can't you do that for AD? And it's like, Well, Dennis had no problem throwing the ball, a lob to a player who was rolling to the basket that was a vertical threat, right? Trez and Mark didn't have that, so he wasn't throwing those passes to them. He was really good with Nerland's Noel the year before. He connected with him on a lot of those. So there's just a certain degree of like, that's not what actually happened. Well, to be – it's complicated. You talked a
2: ton about like guys getting their synergy together and like why – why the t- why baking the cake, right? You you used the cake analogy a bunch last season and, and why all that prep and time in the oven matters. It matters because you get the timing down. There is a window and there is a a symbiotic relationship in in the passer and the lob catcher. Right. And it's the same with a pocket bounce pass. It's the same with any sort of connection. There is a window and there is a synergy between those those two two guys. And Dennis and AD never seemed to connect in like in that same way. They weren't often in that same window. They weren't occupying the same space-time continuum. So, so we'll well, so to speak. And that led to a lot of missed connections rather than like where there's not even attempts right because you and this is where i'll be hard on dennis again a little bit he is not the best feel player as a passer and as a point guard and a player with better feel and better understanding of navigating those those actions he might be able to slow his tempo or find the window and adjust to his big man a little bit better. But now to kick it back to AD, he also needed to be better and more assertive and get down downhill more in order to give Dennis more opportunities. And so both guys were missing their assignments on that side of the ball, I think.
3: Yeah, there was so much misconnection, even in a specific sense, but even in a broader sense, because AD was a monster at the end of the regular season, but Dennis wasn't playing during that time, right? That's Dennis right. is out during that stretch. We All of our ball handlers were out. So it was just, you know, Dennis was, was hooping at the beginning of the year, but that's when AD was especially pick and pop heavy. When AD comes back and looks like, oh yeah, that's Anthony Davis right there, Dennis isn't playing. And then we get a couple of games during the play, playoffs and then it's it's over right there's an injury and it's over so yeah just a, a whole season of misconnections. um let's take a quick break this has been great uh we'll come back our guy kran just has a great uh, two-part question that we're gonna pick apart a little bit
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare care regimen, including EE system.
3: I'm going to read all of Kranjus' questions. I'm going to uh, answer with a couple of... There's like two, three podcasts in this question and a lot of detail. So I'll answer a couple of things with one-liners, but for the sake of time, I'll narrow it down to one when I ask you guys. So his question is, what individual player defensive role changes are you anticipating could lead to a boost or drop in performance this season? THT at the point of attack more, or none more in an off-ball chase or defensive role, or two of the big ones I have my eyes on? I'm also looking at those two, right? I do think that we're going to see that more. I think none is a guy who is the natural successor to KCP uh, in terms of someone who chases shooters off of off-ball screens. Um, and then in related to that, and this is the question that I have for not you Bazemore? guys. Uh <sighs> Bazemore, it depends. Bazemore is versatile. That's one of the things I like about him is that whole jack of all trades, master of none type of thing. And so there may be situations with a bigger shooter. So say it's Duncan Robinson. Kendrick Nunn is not going to bother Duncan Robinson at all. He's too tall. But if you've got... Kent Bazemore in that lock and trail, then he's got a chance to bother him a little more with some back pressure. If it's a a, a smaller, you know, 6'4", 6'5", six, six, type of shooter, that's when I'd probably want none in that role. So anyway, yeah, that's a good addendum to that. Related to that, and this is the question I have for you guys from Cratches. If we see THT playing more small forward to accommodate slotting due to more AD at the five, how can LA mitigate the impact of him being a poor defender rotationally while in that small forward position that LA primarily uses as the helper role rotating often? This is a super interesting player development question that I want to kick to you, Mike. Is THT, as young as he is and as inexperienced as he is, I don't want us to run away from situations where he is not effective. And so, The heart of Krantz's question is, are we gonna put him in this spot that is the worst thing that he does on defense? It's that lack of awareness that many young players have that they learn with experience over the course of the league. My position is that the regular season is exactly the place to put him. Now, if he was 28 years old and kind of locked into the defender that he is. No, but there is a value in regular season development and putting him in those situations, having him fail. So I I would actually like him to get those reps because if he can improve, that becomes very important come playoff time.
4: Yeah, it feels like cheating a little bit to say that, but I totally agree. So THT, as we have gone over many, many times, is 20. And you're not going to find very many 20-year-olds playing in the key defensive Possessions of a playoff series, maybe a special player here or there who's so overwhelmingly great on offense uh, like Luca maybe gets in that situation. But most often those guys are on the bench and watching and learning. But in the regular season, I, I think the reason for him playing three is not as much slotting is more because you want to get none. And now, depending on what we, our last podcast, we talked about Rondo, how much Rondo is going to play. That to me is going to push THG even further up in terms of a position. And you also want to have, try to find some time for Malik Monk. You want to try to find some time with, between Ellington and Bazemore. So there's a lot of guys there. And I think there are fewer uh, amongst the bigger wings, because then you're talking about Ariza and Carmelo. And we know the stage of the career that they're at. So I think that, yes, there are, that is a, a weakness point on his and most young players. But in that situation, he's also going to be most often playing against second units, which is which is a better place to learn uh, those kind of things, and you're you're probably not going to get crushed you know, by by having some mistakes with a second unit, especially if you have a Dwight Howard um, or at times an Anthony Davis as a help anchor. But it, it is a good question and something that's going to be key to think about. I just I just don't see it as being that much of a problem for this specific regular season in terms of winning and losing games, uh, even if you're going to see that impact some net rating here and there uh, as THT still grows as as a defender.
2: Yeah, so I agree with both you guys in terms of, like, give him his reps and live with what comes. If I'm understanding Kranjic's question, I think he's also asking too, well, if he's bad at this, then
3: how do you mitigate that? Sure. right because it's all it's great if you get reps during the regular season yes what do you go to when you actually need to win games yeah and so i think that if
2: you're playing i think depending on lineup construction and if ad is playing more five i think that lends itself to maybe switching more regardless of who your guards are right and so how do you mitigate getting a guy in to rotation a bunch well switch more and then you're rotating less because on ball screens it's like okay, well we're switching these, and now there's not going to be a lot of off ball movement, and there's not a lot of chances to get in rotation
3: um and talon at least has the physical tools to hold his to, own yes. against bigger players and,
2: and he's an i and it's one of the reasons why the idea of him playing small forward is a thing in general right it's because of his physical tools it's he's he's not a big dude in terms of height he's six foot four but when you add in his incredible length with his with with his arms and his gigantic hands and the fact that he's like 225 pounds and 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 very stocky in terms of his build then that allows him to switch more the other thing that i would say too is yeah even if you're going to get off ball reps who is your main defensive assignment right like we were just talking about kendrick nunn versus Kent Bazemore as like a lock and trail guy right well yeah you have guys to put on shooters potentially right that's where the road that's where the idea of rotation matters the most I think as well as like who is your primary assignment who are you asked to help off of and then where do you go after you're put into rotation and one of the things that um THT was having problems with last season was when he was the guy who was tasked with marking the shooter right he was the guy who had to play he had to tag and then recover and that sort of false step idea of okay well I'm tagging the role man and now I'm holding with him for just a beat or a beat and a half too long and now I took a false step and now where's my guy oh damn my guy relocated just a a step and a half or two steps in this other direction yeah. that was away from my false step and now That's i right. can't make my clothes out right? it's an open
3: corner three yeah
2: yes and, and so the idea is too is, is it's like all right well who's the least threatening shooter that we can put put him on maybe mm-hmm. in if he's the small forward right and let's say he's in a combo lineup with trevor ariza for example and then the two guards are none in basemore and he's playing with anthony davis right and so those are your five five guys maybe ariza takes the wing and tht takes the stretch power forward or like the power forward who's maybe like not as good a shooter as tht the assignment that THT would have based off of matchups. Jay
3: Crowder, for example.
2: Yeah, and so that guy's a good shooter, and he's going to relocate some, but is he a better overall matchup in, over Miles Bridges, if or you're Cam talking Johnson. about the sons, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and so you you mitigate things by finding just uh the slightly more advantageous matchup. Maybe you do it with scheme by switching more. Um I do agree with what both you guys were saying though is, is that look you can't just hold him out of reps because he's bad at something. The only way you get better is by getting those those reps. So put him in the fire you just signed dude for an eight figure contract it's just like okay
3: he's gonna have to play and he's gonna have to improve and that's how you do it a couple people asked a different version of the same question about if you could pick anybody outside of the big three stars to have a good season and a season above their expect you know the expectations of them going into this season who would that be for me it is tht because yeah. he's the guy who has the most way to go i think that my biggest my biggest concerns are on the defensive end and that the positive version of this is that a regular season of this, Mike, where he does get those reps and when he did his media availability after he signed his his deal, the first thing he said that he was working on this summer was defense and watching film and all of that. If he gets all of that, he's capable of – Like he is those young legs. He is that young guy. He is somebody who's big and physical and, and can fill some of the – can, can eat some of those innings and do some of the young guy stuff, the run around and be active, you know, the type of duties that basketball calls for. So from that's my pick,
4: is he yours as well, Mike? I could be persuaded. Uh, my, the first inclination I had was Bazemore, which is just going back to the guy that has the chance to be on the floor the most, because he does have the most versatility and he he does have a chance to be there both defensively and offensively. And I I don't think you have that to the same degree with many of the other guys on the roster whereas we know what Ellington is on offense, we know what he is on defense. You know, we none I think would be the what is another guy we should we could talk about there uh, because he might be a little bit better defensively than some people think, but still like where where does he fit in in the big scheme of things? So I I like the THT thing too though cuz it it feels like he's, you know, he's the one that's been here still. He's the one that you saw come in and I saw him play in the G League a bunch. And so can he keep getting better? Like, I think there's some more personal Lakers investment in that. But for this season, with THC is still being at 20, um, I'm, I I'm I probably would go with, with Bazemore and just still thinking that he might have the better chance to be on the floor. But we really don't know. And that's that's not something that, that you say about most, like most rosters going into the season. You know, usually we're going to have a better idea of who that guy is going to be.
2: I think THT has the most growth potential, and so if he starts to meet some, some of that potential, I think it can have a major impact on the Lakers this season. If I'm just looking for one single outlier performance and a dude sort of playing way above his head or above his head for a greater part of the season, that to me comes down to one of the role players, and I might choose a guy like Trevor Ariza. Like he's the guy who looks, who looked maybe Pete, you've, you've mentioned this. He's maybe the role player that they signed that you have the most like questions about in terms of like, how much does he actually have left? I feel like I know what Melo has left. That dude's going to be getting, but he could get buckets in the NBA until he's 40, right? He may not do the other things as well, but Melo's going to be able to score. He's Carmelo Anthony is probably the guy who I think, man, the ideal of him is super important to this roster. And if he mm-hmm. could play to that mm-hmm. ideal more often than what I think all of us think is probably what we think is possible at this point. That's not to say he won't reach that some games, but if we're thinking, oh, he could be that player 30 to 40% of the time, right? Which isn't actually a lot, to say, oh man, the Lakers got to throw back Trevor Ariza season, right? Like that man, would that's be s- super that would be super important to this team.
3: That's a big switchy wing. Who his if you look at his playoff three-point shooting numbers and his regular season three-point shooting numbers. About the same over the course of his career. Got that long 7 2 wingspan and high release point, nobody bothering that jumper. That's a player alongside the other guy. Like I, THT has the more, like you said, more growth potential. Obviously, Trevor Reese is not going to come back as a fundamentally different player, but a guy who can stay healthy and impact. Three play well, Mike, in three out of four games in a playoff series. That that very well might be the most important guy.
4: It's just funny though, because this is where like where Darius is always talking about, like, okay, well, show me then. But yeah, so yeah, okay, can exactly. I can I grab can I grab Peak Mello, Darius? Yeah, sure, for, <laughs> sure. For this exercise. Can I, can I grab Peak
2: Dwight? I look totally fair. Look, that's totally fair. But I'm saying that just within the context of, I don't want to use peak the word Mello. More- would
4: cru- Peak Mello would crush on this team? just saying
2: yes <laughs> if we had the hot tub time machine and we put all of the players in <laughs> yeah but in right then yes give me Mello, give me dwight give me all the give me marcus all let's right? go back to 2013 yep but <laughs> when i look at ariza ariza was a guy who just two seasons ago with which actually wasn't that long ago like before the bubble ariza looked like a pretty valuable contributor to the Blazers, right? And then he didn't go to the bubble and then he played. And then we talked about this a couple of pods ago. Then he went to OKC, but didn't play because they were working on a deal to get him traded. And then he went to Miami. So he, in the last two full seasons, he played the first part of a season, two seasons ago. And he played the last part of this past season and so in between that there was probably what 14 months of time where he maybe wasn't really playing basketball at all and so a call back to the guy who was on the blazers which actually isn't that long ago right. that dude would be helpful right yeah. the guy who was on the heat last year and sort of struggled in the first round against the bucks that guy maybe won't be as helpful but so, I hear what you're saying Mike. Give me Prime Carmelo, right? Yes, I'm with you. Like show me then. But the idea of if I'm only choosing one guy who I can be like, "Oh, this dude, wow. He really played he was really better than what I thought that he was, Ariza might be the guy for me." That
3: that's my only point there
4: with him. I hear you. I hear you.
3: Super interesting answers, guys. We're going to do one more. I'm sorry to everyone. We've uh, left about three or four questions on on the chopping block just due to time. So we got one last one. This one comes from Benjamin asks, is it possible to keep LeBron's minutes at 30 to 32 a game and still be effective? Now, effective is a, a broad term, but... I do believe that this roster is equipped to give LeBron career low in minutes, which is what we're talking about essentially. That's the the heart of that question is can we keep LeBron's minutes low? And I would argue that not just the addition of Russell Westbrook, but also the collective ball handling of Kendrick Nunn, THT, even guys that, you know, even Carmelo Anthony you can throw him the ball and say go get us a bucket on this situation and you might not think of him as a primary ball handler but he is somebody who can handle the ball so mike that is in i think that lebron has always been most essential to to the versions of this lakers team perhaps with the exception of the first year where we didn't have a lot of guys around him we could, could really dribble handle the ball create offense i think this year we're in a good spot to limit lebron's minutes
4: yeah, I also I also think that LeBron is the one guy whose minutes uh, this this happens every year where we look at his minutes like oh man wouldn't it be great though if he was kind of like, closer to thirty than to thirty four and they
3: have gone down though with, they have gone down with us
4: yes uh, but but like they've gone down some but has there been a market difference like the only thing that made a real difference for LeBron was Solomon Hill diving into the ankle like I. I because I felt the same way, and especially when we went so overboard. I think the biggest thing that shifted this was Kawhi's whole uh, injury situation with the Spurs, and then how that played out with the Raptors. And then even if you think about where we are as a league with resting players and minutes and all that kind of discussion, it's evolved a lot since then. And and I don't think it's been for the better. I don't think it pl- players aren't like getting injured less. You know, guys, it, it's just I, I don't think that's had the intended um, consequence in a in a in the way that it was supposed to, I think, for the way that some people felt. So I will, I just am pushing back on the worrying about LeBron, you know, playing 32 as, a, as opposed to 34. I think LeBron will be able to tell that with his body. And you just – it's it's a nice thing. Like you don't really have to worry about it um, in, in that instance. But like am I denying that the age that he's at and the mileage that's been on him, but does over the course of the year – I just think we spend too much time talking about that. So that's probably not the answer that we were looking for. i here with that answer. question, but I don't, no, yeah, I, yeah. I don't worry about that in that, in that context as much. I just don't.
2: I think 30 minutes is too low. I think 32 minutes is doable. That's basically sitting 16 minutes a game at 32 minutes and that's eight minutes a half.
3: If I can interject his minutes over the last five seasons, Cleveland, 37.8 led the league next year. Also led the league in minutes per game last season in Cleveland at 36.9. So 37, eight 36, nine joins the Lakers drops to 35 346 six. And then last season career low of 33.4. So there has been a trend over the last yeah. five years.
2: I I will say that getting to 32 minutes is, is, doable it's a probably a bit of a stretch and i would say that 33 to 34 minutes is probably right around there and i could build out a rotation right now on the pod that would explain how to get there i'm not going to do that because we'll probably have a whole pod on rotations but oh yeah but i think 32 minutes is doable to me
4: mike this is my same thing about when we make a big deal about a guy shooting 40% from three instead of 37% from three, and what that ends up being is literally seven shots that rimmed in as opposed to rimmed out over the course of the year. And so if LeBron plays three overtime games next year instead of zero, that's going to be the difference between 34 and 32. And if Westbrook's on the court, and he's having the ball more than yeah. LeBron's 34 minutes are going to be more like 28 minutes. So yeah, there's yeah, lower so many – and yeah. guess who can control that? LeBron. If LeBron's well, feeling like his minutes have been going up more, he's going he's to be like, hey, Russ, you run a few more of these plays. Or, hey, Kendrick Nunn, you run a few of these more. I'm going to spot up in the corner. You know, it's it's just he he knows how to do all that. That's all.
3: I would say in some ways that's an argument for LeBron's minutes being higher than they have in the past couple of years because his minutes are lower impact. Yeah. Right. That, the, just- Right. That LeBron is the best in the game. D. We've talked about this many times. We about have. getting rest in mid game. And the problem is if you don't got nobody else on the court who can handle the ball, like you need him to do that. And there will be less of that than ever. Well, also, too choosing when to rest and how you rest within the game, the
2: less talent you have means that that rest is likely to come on defense. And then, Mm -hmm. right. And so Mm -hmm. there is, there's all kinds of little in game factors that, that matter here. The one thing I will say is that Mike, that's a great point about like the, the additional ball handling talent and Russ and how those reps that he's getting are lower impact reps, The other thing that I will say too, though, is like, all right, LeBron, what are we doing this year? Are you still on the I'm going to play every game idea, right? And if you are, great. I support you because you're LeBron James and we're going to support whatever the hell you want to do, right? But within that context, let's have a conversation then about what the rotation might look like, about how many minutes we might be targeting within a range for an 82-game season versus a predetermined number like 72 games, right? Because, and Mike, I won't bring up the term that you loathe on, on the pod, but if you're building in scheduled time where a player may not play every single game, which does happen, in the league now, then we could maybe up your minutes to 34 or 35 minutes a night because you're, you're already getting off an extra 200 to 300 minutes for over the course of the entire season simply by not playing. Right. And and so I don't expect LeBron to go that route because LeBron does not do that. And I'm fine with him taking that that approach. But within that then, all right, well then maybe you are playing more minutes with Russ or maybe you do stay out a little bit longer in that first rest. Maybe you do go out at the six minute mark rather than the eight minute mark. And there's a bunch of different ways to manage that.
3: All right, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you everybody for your questions. If you're in California, please don't forget to vote. I'll be ending each show with that until the election on the 14th. Thanks for, Again, thanks for all the questions. We'll be back next week with uh, some more Laker pods. We're going to have a Basketball Gods podcast next week that uh, I'm excited about. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's
5: good. be well! Two, one, missing. One, three. the victory
0: What's over? over. Got right. popped out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah. yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry.
4: Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Two point one seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic.